Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, welcome to the Mortification of Spin. I see the Prius is parked in the car park. There's an empty veggie burger packet in the kitchen and Melissa Etheridge's greatest hits are playing in the background. It can only mean that Todd Pruitt is back in the house. Welcome back, Todd. Oh, I am so glad to see you again, Carl. Your presence supplies me with no small amount. I love the way you save the environment, man. It's fantastic. (laughs) And Amy Bird, who has banned me from introducing her as the unthinking man's Anne Voskamp. So I won't introduce her that way. But uh, Amy, good to have you on the program as well today. She's speechless. Yeah. Never a pleasure to talk with you. If Amy is speechless, that is an end greatly to be desired for that for some years now. And yet, and yet that comment is once again more evidence of the rampant misogyny in the Reformed community. Way to go, Carl. I put yeah. my hand up. I am a card-carrying male chauvinist. Yeah. It uh, reminds me that I need to pack my nunchucks for the conference we're doing. This right, time. right, yeah. Well, anyway, welcome to Bully Pulpit for another quarter hour of politically correct and sensitive conversation about topics that count. Today, we want to talk about one of the, I think, silent killers of the church. What is a silent killer? Well, carbon monoxide, for example, one could be sitting in one's house and be dying without knowing it because your chimney is blocked and carbon monoxide, a scentless poison is seeping into the atmosphere and sucking your life out of you. One of the silent killers in the church, I think, is the concept of felt needs. Why is it that people come to church? I have a suspicion that a lot of people come to church because they want their felt needs met. Todd, what do you think about that? How would you define a felt need? So when we say felt needs, we're talking about those things that we're, we're sure we need, even if we don't actually need it. A felt need would be distinguished from a, a genuine need. Now, God knows what our needs are, and so he gives to the church those things that we as pastors are called to supply to God's people primarily through the ordinary means of grace. But very often, there are things that we're just sure we need. When I was a senior in high school, I was sure I needed a Corvette. I had come to convince myself that it was absolutely essential for my happiness and fulfillment. Now, that's a bit of a ridiculous example, but we still encounter the same category of things within the church today. And so one of the expectations oftentimes for pastors is not that he would simply do what God has called him to do, but that he would provide me with what I feel that I need. Now, again, I don't think people come to us in malice, but they simply have been trained to think that the purpose of the church is to meet these various needs that I feel deeply within myself. And so that's why we get, you know, preachers, for instance, like Andy Stanley, you know, who has famously said that preaching through the books of the Bible is lazy and it's cheating because you don't have to be creative and it's impractical because you're not addressing what? 
people's needs. So this kind of felt need-driven ministry is is popular, and people show up for it, and big, big churches are built upon it. Meanwhile, those pastors who faithfully labor to bring the ordinary means of grace to God's people are oftentimes shuffled aside and ignored as being utterly irrelevant to life. So what kind of felt needs have you heard as pastors that, you know, when people are maybe church shopping and they come to your church and they may stay or or they may end up leaving because you you haven't met that felt need? What are some of those? One of the most obvious ones is when people come and ask, you know, what particular programs you run for particular categories of people. Uh, And in a small church, we don't run programs. We don't have the manpower to be able to do that. So if you're looking for, you know, somebody to scratch your teenager's itch, for example, we're not going to be able to do that. We can, of course, preach the gospel and we can, of course, administer the sacraments, uh, but we're not able to meet niche needs like that. A more vague one that I often hear when people leave the church is, is they say, well, we didn't get the fellowship and support we wanted. Which, you know, fellowship and support, they're, they're good things, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. We often probe what people mean by that. It becomes rather nebulous. A typical response I found is when you ask people, well, did you go to fellowship groups? Did you stay after church and make friends? Did you join a small group? Did you attend the men's breakfast? Did you try to connect with the friends you were making after church during the week? Usually you get a string of negative answers to those questions, which makes me think that some people come to church thinking that it is the church's job unilaterally to provide them with support and fellowship and not realize that actually these things arise out of giving of yourself to the church. Too many people come to church to take. Right. They're very clear about what the church has got to give them. Never seems to cross their mind what they are to give to the church. And I'm not talking money here. I'm talking time and emotional commitment, if I could put mm-hmm. it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I would echo all of that. I think also when it comes to, for instance, the preaching ministry of the church, I think sometimes people aren't always able to articulate clearly perhaps what they're looking for, but it comes across in things like, you know, I'm just, I'm looking for more application. Now, we would affirm that good, faithful preaching of the biblical text involves application, but that doesn't always look like, so if you're an accountant, here's how this text will help you be a better accountant. And oftentimes, I think that's kind of what people are wanting. You know, sometimes the application of a biblical text is now be quiet in the presence of this majestic and holy God that we've just preached about from Isaiah 6. Sometimes that's the appropriate application. And for the person who's coming to say, look, I don't want theology. I don't want doctrine. I don't want calls to holiness. What I want is something that will make my wife the wife I want her to be, or (laughs) make my children more obedient, or make me happier in the job I have. Mm -hmm. Well, I just, most preachers who are looking to scripture as the guide for how they're to do ministry, just aren't going to be able to live up to that most days. Isn't that funny? Because in some ways, what they're saying is, don't give me grace, give me the law. <laughs> Send sure. me off in despair yeah. then, because yeah, very, I need I th- three steps, you know, that'll yeah. help solve these problems. You know, Michael Horton talks about how Joel Osteen, what he does is he gives people the law with a smile on. 
<laughs> it's it's not the holy law of God that drives us to repentance, mm-hmm. but it's a do these things and you'll be better. And listen, you know, it's wrong, but I understand why churches have grown quite large giving that because that gives me something to do, something that I can manage to kind of manage my own Jesus and me spirituality. Do you think, too, that sometimes people confuse their own pet projects, which are good, usually, mm-hmm. with yeah. felt needs that the church needs to provide for them? You know, yeah. it could be something even like a pro-life mm-hmm. activism. Sure. You know, if you come in and, and well, you guys aren't doing enough right. um, in the community here for this. But my counsel is usually maybe your passion for this is the very reason, you know, you've come to this church right. because right. maybe – God is calling you to serve in that way, you know, and to, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I I think pastors encounter that all the time. People come with a particular passion, very often something that we would fully affirm that those, you know, the pastor or or the, the ministry staff, you know, would say, wow, we're so glad that the Lord has given us this person with his passion, and, and it can be a, a wonderful help to the church. Where we get into problems is when, when a person comes and says, look, you know, I care about this segment of our community, and therefore you as the pastor must care in the same way that right. I care about it. Your concern for it must mirror my concern for it, and we have to now set up a program around it. We get that a lot. Yeah. This is where church notice boards, I, I hate to sound trivial, but where church notice boards, I think, are quite useful. Because typically when we get approaches like that at our church, we'll allow people to advertise things on the notice board that we don't make an official part of the church, if I could put it that way. Right. Uh, so people are allowed to feel that they they have a voice and that their concerns are being supported by the church, but in a pretty minimal way that doesn't actually disrupt or interfere with anything else we do. Yeah, And uh, I can have... We have times in the, at the evening service as well where people can make special prayer requests and they're able to ask for prayers for their particular concerns yeah. uh, at that moment. Yeah. And I think on the kind of dark side of that demand oftentimes that we will hear is this desire for the church to be a reflection of me. Mm-hmm. I want the church to be a reflection of me. I care about this thing for, for whatever reason. And there is something deficient in you or the whole church if, if you don't mirror that same thing. It's almost like this kind of need for self-validation. Yeah. And, yeah. and the idea that the pastor would say, I'm really glad you care about that. I care about that, too. Now, I don't have time to give to this particular thing like you do, but I sure hope you will. That ought to be enough, but oftentimes it's not. You can give great pastoral encouragement. You can yep. find other people in the church who you can connect with, who uh-huh. share that same degree of passion to serve in that way. Doesn't necessarily mean that the whole church is going to get behind, you know, right. this one mission. Right. That isn't the mission of the church. Right. And, you know, one of the things we've talked, we, we recently recorded something on kind of what is social justice. And it's, it's one of those things where, look, I'm all for having a conversation on what social justice means. I hope that as Christians, we care about justice being done in society. I, I hope that we could agree on that. But achieving social justice is not the mission of the church. I, I think that we can make an argument that subsidiary, in a subsidiary sense, the gospel calls forth people who will speak out against 
injustice, but that's not the mission of the church. And this is where we have to keep reminding people, drawing them back. What did Jesus call us to? What did Jesus call the church to? How has that been affirmed by the apostles? And what's the job of the pastor? The pastor is a steward of the oracles of God. The pastor is to minister in the name of Christ and to preach the word and administer the sacraments. And the fact is, those things are highly practical, if you like. Mm -hmm. They're highly practical. And first, you need to come and receive your Christ and all his benefits, you know, through the ministry of word and sacrament. Then we're sent out, you know, and then we're able to to do that work. Yeah. And, and, and we want people to see when they come on the Lord's day, on this day that is set apart, this day that is different, we are doing something very countercultural, very otherworldly. We're singing songs. We're praying together. We're preaching the word. We're doing all these things that the world says is weak and useless and ineffectual. And we're doing these things precisely because those are the things that God has said represent the most pressing issues in reality. And that's because, of course, the church defines our needs. Our needs are not what we feel they are, but they are what God's Word defines them to be. Right. Connects to another one of my, uh, I I hate a lot of things, and this is another thing I hate. (laughs) The the phrase church shopping. Yeah. Yeah. Once or twice in my my hearing (laughs) recently. Church shopping is, is it's, well, to use my hackneyed phrase, it's a total abomination as a phrase because it reduces the church to a commodity. Mm-hmm. And commodities in a consumer society are there to, well, make me feel better about myself, ultimately, to give me value. And church shopping is one of the linguistic poker tells mm-hmm. of a felt needs approach to what church does. Right. And one of the, one of the unusual and, and disheartening developments I've seen over the years in pastoral ministry has been the idea, and it's connected to this idea of church shopping, is when people will say, well, we go to this particular church on Sunday mornings because we really like the preaching, but our kids go to Awana at this mm-hmm. other church because they have an Awana program, and our teenagers go to this other church because it has a great youth program. That's a growing phenomenon. And again, it's the idea that the church is a cafeteria of various selections or a Mm. department store with with various departments. And it's perfectly reasonable for me to take the main dish from this church and the dessert from this other church because it's about my spirituality. For ignorant OPC types like myself, Todd, what, what on earth is Awana? Oh my! You don't know what Awana is? No, boy, Carl. What? Boy, Carl. Sounds you know, like I've a been, Native Hawaiian name. Or I've something. been concerned <laughs> about your relationship with Jesus for a long time. But now I really am. <laughs> um, for for the great unwashed out there, Awana is a. Uh, a children's ministry program that runs in a lot of churches. There's a lot of good things about it. There's scripture memory and that kind of thing. But yes, yes, very popular. And when it's well run, can become a big magnet for a lot of folks to get their kids Does involved it stand in. Stand for something? Uh, yes, uh, a workman. Uh, um, <laughs> hey, you're not so hip and cool, man. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, rubbing my nose. The no, great not a shame. Oh, oh, uh, um, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. I feel bad now. Um, <laughs> you should. On the issue of felt needs, I I think pastors need to, I mean, the point is because of all of the options people have and because the church in the West has been all too willing to become consumer driven and to treat people like customers, it now belongs to pastors and leaders in churches to, to really try to educate 
um, laypersons about what it means to be a member of the church, what the church is, what the church's mission is according to God's word, and what it means to be a good church member. I mean, we, we even, you know, it's not unusual in, within evangelicalism now to even have to argue for the value of church membership. So, you know, we have a lot of work to do to help shape people's expectations. I mean, like, well, I, I definitely agree with everything you're saying about the felt needs and, and all this Better. stuff. But um, so my husband and I, you know, we had moved just two years teacher? ago. Is that the, the teacher? teacher? Yes. Um, two years ago, we moved and we were looking for a new church. And so we went to a PCA church in the area. It bad was a, move. Bad move. It was <laughs> a good it, church. Very, it was very disappointing, I assume. <laughs> it was too conservative. It's a good church. I know some people there, you know, all that. And Matt, you know, he said, let's try. I want to try the OPC church as well. And I said, are you sure? And he's like, yes. So <laughs> wise man, a very wise so, man. So we, we go and we check out the OPC church. And there was this, this sense of, I don't know, the culture there. Or somehow we just felt like we fit in there well. And I mean, there is something to... I don't know, the culture of a church that isn't necessarily like something you strive for to be a certain, you know, this or that, but that you might fit in with better. If you have in a city like Frederick, you have several good options of churches to go to. Now, I don't know if you would call that shopping, you know, which is. I, I, I think there's a crass way to church shop, you know, as, as Carl was describing it. But then there's also the idea that you move to a new community. And you want to find a church that you believe is most faithful um, to to God's word, a church that seems to be doing a good job of, of discipling people. You know, that's appropriate. And and particularly, you know, if you've got children and you're saying, I have a responsibility to have them in a church that's going to to bring them the word and to, to not treat them like little customers. I think that's there's good and healthy ways to evaluate where do we want to pour our life into? Yeah. So, yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because we wouldn't want to discourage people. You know, we don't want to encourage people. Listen, find the church that you think is in the worst condition and go be miserable there. <laughs> that would be a yeah. church shop. But just don't think of it as shopping. Yes, you choose. Right. Yes. Yeah, it's, I think it's noble when you move into a community to find a church that, that seems to be holding most faithfully. Right. And we had to invest then, you know, like we – Went to the invitations we were invited to. We checked out the small groups. We started you know, doing some of the Wednesday night stuff. And like Carl said, you have to invest. We're, you know, we're still probably, you know, one of the families that they have to turn the lights out right. on on Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> we got a few of those. Yeah, and, we always and, trying to make them move on. <laughs> well, and again, because... Because it's an OPC church, there's only like 12 people in it anyway. So you have to get involved. So. 12? They must be selling out in a doctor. I'm a church, man. We are like up to 250 and beyond. I know. Yeah. That's, that's like, um, man, that's Joel Osteen territory when it comes to an OPC that's church. That's five so. homeschooling families with 50 kids <laughs> in the church. <laughs> and a whole lot of denim and white sneakers. Yes. So. Well, listen, folks, we are so glad. I might as well draw it to a close once we begin to get a little bit ridiculous. So we're so glad that you uh, stopped in to take a listen to the Mortification of Spin. We do have a giveaway for you. If you'll come to our website, mortificationofspin.org, you can register to win a copy of a wonderful book by David Wells called The Courage to be Protestant. 
It's an excellent book. It's accessible. And he addresses some of the very things that we're talking about today. So we would encourage you to go to that. Go to mortificationofspin.org. And while you're there, consider making a donation. We're a listener-supported podcast. And if you feel so impressed to help us continue to do this, then uh, you can feel free to, to make a donation towards the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, we are signing off. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... And I just thought, wow, you know... It made me ask, what can we learn from the queer community regarding hospitality? Every time I've heard you talk about hospitality or read it, you know, I, I'm challenged. I, I hear myself saying, okay, you know, I do hospitality up to this time. We've had people over this many times. I need to do more. And Sounds absolutely terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, by the way, do, do I remember in one of your books that you, you sing psalms on your front lawn? Hospitality is very much the ground zero of the Christian walk and the Christian faith. That interview is next time. Join us then. So what were you guys saying about me without my knowledge? Not a thing. Thing. Not a thing. I don't believe you. We would never speak about you behind your back, Amy. Mm. No. (laughs) We would never consider replacing you with somebody else, for example. (laughs) (laughs) That that couldn't have been what you were talking about. There is nobody to replace you with. We've been anathematized by every yeah. other female on the face of the earth. There's, there's, not a, there's not a woman out there that would have anything to do with us. That's so true. Even, even our own wives are having sex. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's even sketchy at this point. Oh, very true.